Welcome to Inside Impact, where we give you a behind-the-scenes peek at how organizations can create positive change in their communities. I'm Elisa Herr, founder of Unity Web Agency, and on the show today, Leaf and Limb, wizard of things, Basil Camus, comes on to talk about his tree service company, which you would think would be harming the environment, but it's actually providing a positive impact on the world. When I think of a tree service, the first thing that comes to my mind is when I have a tree that might be preventing my grass from growing, or I'm worried that it's gonna fall on my house. I call a tree service. And for Leaf and Limb, that's what the company used to be. It represented at 1.80% of our revenue. Uh, I, think, I think for most companies, it's at least 60%. So it's a very big part of the industry. But at Leaf and Limb, we do things a little differently. We really just focus on caring for trees, planting trees, and educating folks about the importance of trees. Leaf and Limb's mission is now to preserve, plant, and promote trees in a manner that maximizes positive benefits for members of all ecosystems. This journey to do the right thing all started when Basil and his dad decided to truly take care of their team. One of the initial issues was we didn't want to play pay folks under the table. And mm-hmm. most of our industry pays either cash under the table or they do 1099 contractors. And the reason they do this is because our workers' comp is insane. So for every dollar oh. I pay a staff member, workers' comp rate starts off at 40 cents per dollar. So it's a massive, massive number. You can easily get into fifty to 100000 workers' comp costs. And this is a very small company, right? And that's exactly what we were up against. But I really didn't want to be a part of a company that paid folks under the table. So early on, we made this decision. We're going to do it the right way. We're part of only 10% of the industry that do this. But to do it the right way means that every single bid you walk into, you are going to be more expensive because yeah. you've got to pick up these huge workers' comp costs. And then, of course, there's the taxes that go with that because they're on payroll. So that's another 7%. So we had to get really creative about how to overcome these price gaps. Right. How do we walk into bids and consistently be, at the time, not the most expensive, but just under the national brands? So with that came a lot of learning. And mm-hmm. I, I love learning and reading. So that was, that was fun. And I started learning about trees. And as we learned about trees, we were able to offer more sophisticated care services. And and, and that, was, that, that, that went on for a number of years, just getting more knowledge about trees, better services, that sort of thing. But there also was this point at which I personally was really kind of questioning what I was doing. I, I enjoyed working with my dad and being in the tree service industry. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. But it wasn't, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, I was just questioning if that was really what I was, like, that was it with my life. You know, right. I'm going to work at a tree service and we're going to, build a big company and we're going to make money, which, you know, we did. We, we grew up to 45 staff. That's awesome. Um, by around 2000 and I don't know, I can't remember all my years, but it was like 2015, 2016, something like yeah. that. So we were building a big company, but as we're doing this and I just, it just wasn't jiving with what I really wanted in life. Right. And that was sort of a turning point for me. You know, I, I realized what I really enjoyed was the care aspects of tree and I love ecology and I love soil. And, and through these things, I've also become an environmentalist. So I really care a lot about uh, environmental issues, particularly as they per- pertain to ecology. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, all of that became the impetus for why we gradually, well, gradual at first, why we really wanted to become more than just a traditional tree service. We wanted to, do, we wanted to care for trees. Yeah. Did you pitch this idea to your family? Like, how did that, well, how did that go? Yeah, my dad and I are 50-50 partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have to agree on these things. 
And, you know, to his credit, he has given me a lot of leeway to do these things. I've also built that trust. You know, I've been a big part of building this company. So I think I've proven myself. But it also, you know, when your business partner comes to you, and I'm fast forwarding the story a little bit, but like, you know, says things like, hey, we should stop doing tree removals and gut 40% of our annual revenue. Right. You know, that's like, <laughs> those are not easy conversations. Yeah, definitely. But in the end, you know, he agreed and we've, we've made the decisions we made. Yeah. And I can kind of fast forward to one other piece of the story. And I'm sorry if this is long winded, but that's okay. The, we've got time. The really crux of the transformation happened in 2017. We rebranded. And we sort of had this weird situation where we were really putting ourselves forth as, as more of a tree care company, tree planting. We were still offering the removal services. And I had told my sales team, you know, hey, I'd like sales to steer us out of that revenue stream over the next three to five years. And I had set targets for where I wanted us to be. So we were at 60% of our revenue. I guess it's about 2015. By 2017, it was about 40%. Removals were 40% of our revenue. And I said, hey, 2017 to 2020, uh, one, I'd like to get us down to 10% or less. Wow. When 2019 rolled around, we really hadn't moved the scale at all. And it was then that I realized we had some systemic issues that sort of prevented us from making this change through the sales team. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had to then consider the really hard route, which is, okay, I'm going to take this service off the table. We can't even sell it. And we're going to do this the hard way, but I needed consensus. Right. So we had a lot of internal meetings. This is not the kind of thing that you can just say to your staff and it's going to happen. It's too radical. So we had a lot of internal meetings and discussions about, because, you know, we had all been on this journey for a number of years together. So we had these discussions by September of 2019. We said, hey, we've got until January to clear our queue of all removal work because January 1st, we're announcing that we're getting out of removals completely just to focus on the care and the planting and education that we care about. and. We went public with that statement, so we couldn't retract. That was January 2020. And we got a new story with ABC 11 that did really well. Yeah. Thanks to Ed Crump, an awesome guy who cares a lot about things that matter. And then COVID hit, but that was right. not to be known for another <laughs> several months. Yeah, I noticed on your website that the closest thing to tree removal is consultations. Yeah. So that seems like a really valuable service to provide to people where they yeah. might not know other options that could be there. They might have what they think is a problem tree. Right. We try to convince them to keep it. Or if it yeah. really is a problem, we're going to tell folks. But the, the truth of the matter is nine times out of 10 problem trees are really not problem trees. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many things that people say to other people or that even tree services say to people like, but they're just not true. Yeah. Or maybe it's unhealthy and there's ways to, to fix it. Fix exactly. It. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it's just, it's, it's so, so a lot of what we do is on those consultations, just educating folks about the trees and about the biology, how it works and why it's pro you know, assuming it's not a problem in the 90% of cases, you know, why it's not an issue. Yeah. And I noticed, so on that ABC 11 article, the headline was Raleigh tree service owner willing to lose business to help save the planet, which is an awesome, I love that you got so far to that edge of like comfort, you yeah. know, but obviously you didn't lose your business. We so. did it. Yeah, it was a calculated risk. Right. I had done a lot of writing to try to play out all the various ways that I thought it could go. And there, there, most of the scenarios were hard but doable. Mm -hmm. I was willing to lose it, truly. We were at a point where it was either just sell the company, for me personally, it was either sell the company or do something radical. Yeah. And uh, 
we you went did, radical. You chose radical. Yeah, and, and yeah. we didn't fail. It was good. You know, we ended up, one of the coolest things at all, and this is like, you know, especially speaking to business owners, when you take a stand for something, you're going to go from having uh, loyal clients, which we always had because we did good service, to actually gaining a fan club. And one of the things that was really crazy about 2020 that just blew me away is like the development of this fan club. I've never experienced anything like it with our company. I mean, it's a service company. Like service companies don't generally have fan clubs. Right. And I mean this in like a really amazing way. Like they were advocates. They were telling their neighbors. They were ambassadors. And, and so I, I really do think a big part of why we actually made it was because those people went out and talked to other people. And they're the ones who spoke loudest on the Nextdoor app. And they're the ones who are, you know, oh, you got to try these guys. You know, th- those people. Right. I really think that was a lot to do with why we made it. Maybe a smaller base, but far more hardcore and excited about what we stand for. Yes. Yeah. Did sales fall at all after you made that they stand? They did, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, we went from $5 million in 2019 to $3 million in 2020. But part of that was COVID. But even without yeah. COVID, it still was going to be a big drop. I mean, it was a big, you know, 40%. That's a big percentage. Yeah. Have things recovered or stabilized or how yeah. have things gone since those last two years? Well, 2020 was was tough, you know, difficult year, but but we had COVID going on. Right. 2021 was uh, much better. Definitely. We, we've been on an, on an incline since then. So yeah. I, I think this year will come close to our 2019 numbers. Probably not fully, but next year I would expect that we surpass those markers. And I care less about top line revenue. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I used to, you know, one of the reasons I sort of originally became an entrepreneur is because I wanted to make a lot of money and I wanted to grow a big business. And, and then over time, I just realized those things are just not meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. We need money, obviously, but I just like, there are more meaningful KPIs for me. Absolutely. So I, that's a really good transition because I wanted to talk about Leaf and Limb becoming a B Corp. I guess to go into that, like, what are your KPIs that you care about? Depends on the department. So we have, um, you know, within operations, within Project Panda, which is a project we do within. um, I want to talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Within sales, like we have all these different metrics. Some, of course, have to do with the things you'd expect, like revenue and profitability. But then we have a lot of other things like with staff, we want to be looking at satisfaction scores, uh, Gallup Q12 scores, you know, impromptu engagement, trust. with Project Panda, we're looking at, you know, trees growing and volunteers engaged. With sales, it has a lot to do with trees saved. If we're looking at service KPIs, like the things that really are meaningful, like soil rehabilitation, it's more of a people, planet, and profit focus, the triple bottom line approach. Right, yeah. So when did you become a B Corp? Uh, we became a B Corp in 2019. Mm-hmm. And that was after attempting to become a B Corp four times. We failed four times. Wow. Yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> That's, wow. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it's a difficult process to it begin is, with. It is hard. Yeah. But then when you take a service company like ours, which is very fleet dependent, oh. it, it, it's a different kind of situation. I think B Corp works really, really well for some industries. And then other industries are still trying to figure things out. Right. And I think a service, definitely the tree care industry. Uh, we were the first in the industry to get that credential. Um, it sounds like you're a perfect fit for it. We are. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> I don't think we would have been 10 years ago. Anyway, all this to say, we did have to do the process four times. And at the yeah. very end, they, the, 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 they, we went to a special committee at, at, the, at the clinic, and they said, basically, look, we need you all to submit a, an essay and like, get into more detail at the stuff we're not seeing on, this, yeah. on, the, on the actual um, form. And that really helped. 
I'm really glad they let us do that. It was really important to you to become certified. What, why? Well, the last couple of times were just, you know, I, I really wanted to pass the metric, you know, yeah. like this, like, I'm not going to fail this one. I just, <laughs> I actually did say, okay, if we fail the fourth time, we're going to have to just walk away because this is getting crazy. But I really was just yeah. keen on, on, on passing the threshold. But, you know, it's just something we wanted to do. It's a cool credential. I actually didn't know as much about it then as I do now. It, it helps to be in the community. Yes. The more I learn I about it, the more I love it. But even then, from as an outside perspective, it still seemed very cool. Yeah. So I founded my company in 2016. And my goal when I founded it was we're going to be a B Corp. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And we got certified, I think, in 2018. And now we just recertified last okay. year. Okay. Yeah. I haven't done the research yet and I'm a little scared, but I have a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll also take you a while. So yeah. it'll... It's a lot of work. But it we is. did start a B Corp team at Leaf and Limb. So um, Great. Well, yeah, that's been really fun. They're going to help with the recertification. But the other thing they're doing is just generally we've been using the handbook as inspiration for new things we want to do at Leaf and Limb. So this team, uh, that's what they do. Yeah. The book and then come up with cool ideas for Leaf and Limb. That's amazing. How big is that team? Uh, right now it's five. Cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, that would be, my whole team is five people. Oh, fair. Yeah. We have, <laughs> so we're, like, wow. we're, <laughs> we're at about 40 right now. So let's talk about Project Pando. Yeah. Project Pando is just one of my favorites. Originally, that was an effort whereby we would go out and volunteer as a company every month. And we did that for three years. We would just different nonprofit each month. And then on the first Friday, we as a company would go out and do volunteer work. Really cool, really fun. The challenge there was just we were doing a lot of work that was maybe not using our greatest skill set because we know a lot about trees. So it was, it was fun. But I, you know, I was in 2019, I was thinking, is this really the best use of our time? Because we were putting in a combined two to 3,000 hours every year of volunteer time. So that was when in 2019, I was thinking about just this effort we were doing. And it occurred to me, we should focus on doing something we're really good at. And that's what got me onto this idea of actually, we, so where we are, what we do now is, the, where it started in 2019, we go out and we collect seeds from wild native trees. And we actually raise these seeds up into trees and we give them away for free. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the core thing of what we do. But it's volunteer-driven completely. A lot of education goes with it because not only do we want to raise trees, but we also want to get people engaged with, the, with growing trees and getting hands in soil. Yeah. We're trying to basically recreate my journey, which was as I got my hands dirty and learned a lot about trees, I went from being the person I used to be to being this, this person who cares a lot about ecology and environmental issues. You know, I put a lot of time and efforts to helping with those issues. So we're kind of hoping to create a cohort of environmentalists through this as well. Yeah. And so when you say volunteer driven, is it volunteers within the company or a community? Both. Yeah. We have a big Slack platform and we probably have about a hundred folks from the community who are active on the platform. We probably have another 50 who don't do the platform, but joins something like 150 folks from the community and then staff at Leaf and Limb. How many ages? Like, are you, are there kids involved? Cause that sounds like the kind of thing that kids could be involved yeah, in all ages. Yeah. I mean, we, and then we, and then we have the rotating cohort of folks who want to come in and do projects. So like recently worked with the Girl Scouts of North Carolina, Rollsville High School, Green Club, you know, there's so a lot of kid groups that do come through and then a lot of adult groups and corporate groups as well. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners about where Pando comes from? Like yeah. what is the inspiration for the name? Yeah. It's, it's the Pando colony of quaking aspens in Utah. 
And the idea is that if you look at the quaking aspens, it looks like a forest of trees, but they're actually one single organism. All of them are connected underground via one root system. So it's one plant. And the idea with Project Panda is that we're all rooted in the same soil. We're all connected. Good for one is good for all. And that's just the driving motivation behind these efforts. I love that so much. I think it's an interesting effort in that if we're going to be doing mass reforestation efforts, we have to figure out a way to actually get our hands on the trees. And not only do we need trees, but we need to be careful what trees. So if we're reforesting in a given area, you need to look for what are called native trees. These are trees that actually live in that area and they've co-evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to be able to feed local ecology. Those are insects, those are birds. So you can't just get any tree. It really has to be those local, that local ecology. Well, we have great efforts going on. The Trillion Tree Initiative, uh, UN's Billion Tree Initiative. We have a lot of really cool accords about reforestation, a lot of great stuff to be done. But I don't know that we're focusing enough on the operational side of how do we go about getting billions of trees mm. and how do we ensure that they're native. To be a native tree, you've got to learn how to collect seeds from that area. And let me tell you what, seed collection and stratification and germination is not an easy thing. There mm -hmm. is shockingly little literature on this. So there's a whole body of work that it doesn't even exist. Now, I'm not saying trees are the only thing we need to be doing to solve our environmental issues. There's a lot of stuff we need to do, but they're definitely a key component. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books of all time, which is Drawdown by Paul Hawken. It's got a hundred strategies that we should be embarking on today to help solve all of our major climate issues. And it's a fantastic book done by lots and lots of scientists and experts from all over. But he puts reforestation in the top 10. There's a lot to do with soil and food. Trees play a big role in soil. So anyway, this is my long-winded way of saying I, I, I love Panda for being a community effort. And I love that we're raising trees. But what we're really getting at here is we really want to provide an operational basis for how we go about doing mass reforestation. That information just doesn't exist. And there's mm -hmm. no playbook for this. And what we're doing is we're building an open source blueprint that we're going to give away for free because we want folks in communities around the world or country, but world's too big. We'll start with state. How about that? Around the state to be able to do exactly what we're doing. Um, and we're building the model so that you can do it with no time or with no money. Mm -hmm. So whichever you have, like, go for it. You got money, you can do it this way. If you don't have money, you can do it with, with volunteers and scrapping wood and stuff like that. So I hope this serves as a playbook for how we can actually procure native seeds, grow native seeds into trees, and then get them in mass into the ground. How would somebody know what's native to their area? Yeah. Um, the easiest way is just to Google, you know, native tree Raleigh or native tree North Carolina. We have some really great resources here. We have uh, the Native Plant Society of North Carolina. We have North Carolina Botanical Gardens. We have J.C. Rowson, and we have, you know, tons of great online resources. Pretty easy. And I'll, I'll back up one layer to get to a question that you didn't ask, but it's worth knowing the answer to. Yeah, please. Consider, say, an oak tree. An oak tree feeds something like 500 different species of caterpillars and then another 500 or so species of leafhoppers and, and, and all sorts of other insects. Um, and those go on and feed lots and lots of birds. So you can look at an oak tree and it is just a hub of ecology. It's feeding a ton. It also is housing a lot. If we took a tree like a Japanese maple, which is a very popular tree, that might only feed 10 different insects. So yes, it's, it's sequestering carbon, 
and it's doing some other good things. But what we're missing there is it's not feeding local ecology because nothing in our ecosystem co-evolved with the Japanese maple. Now, it co-evolved with other maples, like a red maple or a chalk maple, but not a Japanese maple. So when we talk about natives, the reason they matter is because they support ecology to Mm -hmm. such a huge level. Over the last 40 years, 60% of all life on the planet has died. Uh, Birds, animals, fish, you name it. So this is why native ecology matters so much because we've got to be feeding these populations of birds that are migrating over, invertebrates that live in this area. We've just got to support them with actual food and places to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have kids. I do. Too. How do you talk with your kids about this stuff? You know, right now, I'm really just wanting to connect them with nature. How old are they? Three and five. Okay. Yeah, so, I've got a six, six and nine. Yeah. And we do talk about stuff, you know, like we'll garden together. Yeah. And I'll talk about soil biology with my oldest and we'll get into carbon. You know, I love carbon. One of my favorite things in the world. And we'll kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit. He doesn't understand everything I'm saying, but I'm just kind of getting him into it. I figured developing a love and a connection with nature is sort of the first step. Right. We do a lot of hiking and that sort of thing. That's what I was thinking about. Like you're, you're raising tree ecologists, right? And, and you're, that's a part of the education that Leaf and Limb does for the community. And so this this next generation and like each following generation, like instilling that love from the beginning yeah. is so critical. And then at some point, there's the awful knowledge that they're going to have to gain of this is what our planet is like right now. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of systems thinking. Uh, Donella Meadows, Thinking in Systems, one of my all-time favorites. Tom Wessels, The Myth of Progress, one of my all-time favorites. And I think when you start looking at systems theory, Donella Meadows, Meadows would say that your greatest tool for creating systems level change is winning hearts and minds. And that's out of 14 levels. So the way I see the best thing we can do is win hearts and minds. And that's exactly what we try to do. You know, through Project Panda, through Leaf and Limb, simply trying to create an appreciation for trees and for soil. Maybe a moment you're like, wow, I never thought about that. And even just opening up the possibility of changing your heart and your mind, that to me is our role in how we make things better. And, and everybody has their role, I think. That just happens to be what we want to do. We want to get people excited about trees. Yeah, I'm getting excited about trees <laughs> just in this conversation. I'm curious about, so Project Pando is, is a very long-term project of everything from collecting native seeds to then donating trees. Yeah. Who do you donate trees to and at what point? Well, our first batch of trees came online uh, last year, and it was about 10,000 trees. We did some general tree giveaways. Uh, we gave some to nonprofits that plant trees, that gave some to, to some of the municipalities around here that wanted some, Raleigh, Cary, and then uh, several other projects where they needed lots of trees. Kind of a, you know, a smaller batch. This year, we'll have about twenty to 30,000 available. And then at this one location, and we're at the Williamson Preserve, which is a Triangle Land Conservancy Preserve, and they're an awesome organization. We hope to be producing around 50,000 a year. But ultimately, again, you know, those numbers matter, but we do measure success on trees given away, but we're also measuring success on um, volunteer hours and on educational hours. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the three things we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of diversity with those trees that you're growing. What are some of the species that you're growing? Well, this year we have about 50 different species. Uh, We have all kinds of oak trees, uh, white oak, red oak, 
Uh, we have turkey oak, all kinds of fun stuff. We're growing some ornamental understory trees, uh, red bud, native fringe tree. We have a lot of hickory and walnuts. What we're hoping to do is get to a place where we can, instead of handing you a tree, we can actually hand you a mini ecosystem. So we're growing overstory, understory shrub layer uh, with the idea that, you know, you could maybe turn your front yard into a mini forest. We'll see if we get there. That's the goal. But so far, about 50 different species are going. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I, so I grew up in this area and I remember going to Umstead Park as a kid and learning about trees and that the layers yeah. of like yeah. the stories of trees. I'm not saying it right, but no, that's, um, that's right. I remember as a kid just that it was so beautiful and like there are so many beautiful native trees. Yeah. And I, I mean, we we're circling back on it again now, but, you know, talking about well, the reason that non-native trees come in is because people think they're decorative, but is it just red buds are beautiful. Yeah. They're all blooming right now. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, look at that pretty red yeah. bud. But then I guess it's like, why do people plant non-native trees? It's a, it's a ball of yarn. I don't yeah. totally know where to untangle. I don't know if it's the architects, landscape architects, or if it's the nurseries or it's, but there is definitely a preference for the exotic. Yeah. The not from here. But then where those things are from, that's not exotic. <laughs> right. And you know what? If we, uh, it's funny. I was in Iceland over the summer and their invasive plants are from North America. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh yeah, gentle reminder. You know, we've all got this issue. It was kind of funny. I was like, oh my God, like this, it's invasive here. It's a tree yeah. I knew. And I was, it was, yeah. So recently we had another guest on who I think, you know, Maria Kingery. Yeah. Her and, her and Bob are just fantastic. They are. She got pushback from businesses sometimes that say that it's hard enough to get one bottom line right. And it's not realistic for some companies to focus on a triple bottom line. Yeah. How would you respond to that? Well, I think there's a practical answer and an idealist answer. Um, the idealist answer is, of course, the one you'd expect, which I firmly believe, which is there's just stuff in life that's more important than money. It just is. I imagine that when I get to the end of my life, I'll be a lot more excited about the people I worked with and the things we did that mattered versus the money that was in my bank account. So that's sort of my idealist answer. My practical answer is I, I think it's good business. Uh, when you care for your staff, it makes a huge difference in your bottom line. So if you're trying to increase profit, maybe think about looking internally and figure out how to create an, an amazing place to work and you'll likely see a big gain in profitability. So that's sort of the people component. There's also a community aspect to that, but the same logic applies. Start caring more about your community, start engaging more in your community with your community, and you're likely to see dividends from that. And then in terms of the, the, the planet aspect, the, the ROI is a little less clear there. I'd have to lean a little bit more on my idealist answer. But I would say, I think there might be some business sense there. There's, there is absolutely a growing population of people who care about these things. So maybe you're an air conditioning company and you figure out a way to do air conditioning that doesn't involve so many hydrofluorocarbons. And you're going to stand out to a select group who are really going to love you. And much like the experience we had at Leaf and Limb, you might go from having what is a great client base who are loyal and they pay their bills to having an enthusiastic fan club who, who are the people at the party who, who, you know, do the awkward, like, oh yeah, you got to use this company. They're so, I mean, that's great. That's, so there could be some ROI there as well. Just, it's a little bit harder, but I think with the people, it's unequivocal. You're going to see ROI from caring about your people and your community. 
And you know what? Honestly, I've enjoyed this so much more. Like I have had the most fun in my career in the last three years. It's just more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I can't promise that'll be somebody else's experience, but I imagine you'll feel better when you get into Friday afternoon, you know, and you're starting to think about your weekend or wherever it is that your hard work week ends, you'll probably just feel better about your business and yourself. It's a meaningful experience. And, and, you know, again, life is short. These meaningful experiences matter. Right. They do. Life for humans is short, but not trees. Not for trees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, the, the, the bristlecone pine in, uh, somewhere in California. It's hidden. I'm not sure it's California, but undisclosed location. 4,500 years old. And that's a single organism. Then you get into your like clonal organisms, which is like the, the quaking aspens we were talking about. There are trees in that category that have lived for over 15,000 years. Yeah. But even that's kind of short. I mean, four and a half billion years, it's like, it's nuts. It is. Yeah. Your brain can't even like hold that. I know. So I guess to summarize a little bit, I'm curious what you would say the impact that you're hoping Leaf and Limb would leave on the world? It's a little bit of a tough question because I sort of battle in my mind, you know, why am I doing this? And it's hard not to be attracted to money and fame and fortune, these things. In that vein, my answer is, I hope we do something meaningful, right? Like, it's, it's, I, wanna, I would love to leave a mark. Um, I'd love to be a thought leader. I'd love, you know, Project Panda, we're also working on uh, Piedmont Prairies right now. And I realize there's a lot of pea alliteration there just <laughs> now, actually. But this is another, you know, solution we hope to give out, which is how to get rid of your grass, which is a whole another discussion. Um, we're working on a lot of things that I hope create big thought leadership. But on the other vein of things, I I'm trying to make sure I'm doing things just for the sake of doing them because they're good, regardless of what happens. And in that vein, I hope we have a healthy company where people love to work and they stick around for a long time and they refer, you know, their friends and say, this is a great place. And I'm so lucky I get to work here. And that just at the end of the day, it's just a good place with good people doing good things. And at the end of, of it all, it's just, it has, it would have been a, a meaningful and positive experience. So those are my two sort of maybe dichotomous, I don't know, two ways I think about it. They go together. And I agree with you. That's my goal for my business as well is a place that people love to work, where they feel lucky to be and want to stay and that we do good things for the world. Yeah, because yeah. I'm trying to care less about money and about fame and about, you know, who's popular and who's not. It's hard, especially as, as a young entrepreneur that used to drive me like full on. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I, 15 years ago when I started my first company, like, that was all I thought about. And now it's much less so. And I really, I want it to be even less so. But it's just, you know, it's a battle. You're an entrepreneur. You know how this is. Yeah. You're always thinking about, well, I don't know if you are. I'm often <laughs> thinking about how other people are doing well or, yeah. or maybe succeeding where we're not, that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. So That's a daily thing. But this conversation has really picked me up. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fun. Yeah, it has been fun. Thank you. So my final question is, what person or company doing good has had the biggest impact on you? Yvonne Chouinard at Patagonia. And I'm sure a lot of people do this one. I, it's just so influential. The Responsible Company was a game changer for me. I read that book in 2016 and that absolutely helped me like crystallize my thoughts. I realized with that book specifically, this was where I wanted to go. So he's, he's freaking awesome. And the company's awesome. Yes. And the people he has working for him, I've 
heard some of their stories. And they're just amazing people. But that's the biggest one. Who's yours? Just curious. That. I probably wouldn't be able to pick one. Fair. So it's not fair for me to ask for one. <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, Maria Kingery is one of those people for yeah. me. So they're, yeah, they're such a great company. They are. Uh, they've helped support Pando. Um, they've been so generous to us as a B Corp. They do this with every new B Corp. It's just really fantastic. Big welcoming. Like they got a ba- like gift basket and stuff. I don't know if you got this also, but. They started doing it after I okay, got it. Okay, okay. <laughs> but they are incredible. Yeah. yeah. And we also had our solar system installed through them and they were great to work with. So it's great experience on all around. Yeah. And Maria has been a mentor for me for years. Oh, nice. For my own business. And yeah, I'd probably say she's one of the people. But I've got several. Good. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you again for joining me, Basil. Yeah. It's great to talk with you. If people want to learn more about you and what you're doing, how can they connect with you? I'd say the website, leaflim.com. We have a newsletter there. We do educational stuff about trees every month. There's no sales. It's just all education and and fun stuff. Uh, Project Panda is also on the website. It's one of the menu options. And then, uh, you know, social media, we don't do a great job, but you could follow Leaf and Limb on Instagram or Facebook. And then I'm personally on, on Instagram. Thank you so much to Basil Camus for joining us on Inside Impact. To connect with Basil or join Project Pando, visit leaflimb.com. And thank you for listening to Inside Impact. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would give us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using right now. For all of you making an impact in your communities, let's hear about it. Send us an email to podcast at unitywebagency.com and we'll be sure to mention what you're doing on the show or even have you on. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Elisa Herr, and we'll talk to you again soon on Inside Impact.